0: You know what an Ethernet cable is, don't you? Even if you don't think you do, I I bet you probably do. It's that cable you plug into a computer or a router that delivers the Internet. And I know, so many people are doing Wi-Fi these days. Your laptop might not even have an Ethernet port anymore. But I bet your modem does. Probably your game console does. Heck, even your TV might have one. For most of the Internet's history, the Ethernet cable has been the most reliable and fastest way to deliver network traffic. And we owe it all to Hawaii. Not what you were expecting me to say. 1968 was the year of the mother of all demos, as we know on this show. But halfway across the Pacific Ocean, one more piece of the future was taking shape all on its own. In 1968, the University of Hawaii was like a lot of other universities. It had a big timeshare computer. But the University of Hawaii had a unique issue that most of those other universities did not. See, at Stanford or UCLA, if you wanted to use the big computer, you walked over to the building where it was. In Hawaii, that wasn't always practical. If you were studying in Hilo on the Big Island, it wasn't a simple matter to walk over to the building on Oahu where the computer was. Now, even Stanford could have remote terminals in other buildings that connected to the main timeshare computer, but that was also tough in Hawaii. It'd be pretty expensive to run a cable through the ocean between Oahu and Maui or any other island. That's where Franklin Kuo comes in. Until recently, you might not have recognized where he was born, but Wuhan, China, has become famous for other reasons now. When Kuo was 16, though, He arrived in the United States and finished up high school in New York City. He then got his bachelor's, his master's, and his doctorate in electrical engineering at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. Go Illini! He caught on at Bell Labs after graduation, and you might have forgiven him for thinking he's done. He's at Bell Labs. He's made it. He's in electrical engineering nirvana in the 60s. But he only worked there until 1966, when he made a fateful decision. He flew halfway back to his birthplace to take a job at the University of Hawaii as a full professor. There, he met fellow electrical engineering professor Norman Abramson. Now, those two got together with a team and solved the problem of how to connect those university campuses on other islands to the time-sharing computer on Oahu. <laughs> they had to do it on the cheap. It was expensive to get equipment shipped over to Hawaii. But they did it, and their solution ended up as the foundation for Ethernet. Want to know why? Let's help you know a little more about AlohaNet. Aloha Net sort of stands for Additive Links Online Hawaii Area, but it's a contrived acronym. They just wanted to call it Aloha. The idea was to use low-cost, off-the-shelf radio equipment. So they needed a system that didn't rely on precision. In fact, it had to be fault-tolerant. They decided to use packets for the data— An idea borrowed from ARPANET, which was also under development at the time. You put your data broken up into discrete packets and sent those on their way. You didn't try to send all the data at once. But this wasn't about using the ARPANET. We're not on the internet, not yet. This was just sharing local data from the central computer to the clients on other islands. The system they developed had a hub, that was the central computer, and... It broadcast its packets on one channel to everyone. That was called the outbound channel. So no one else used that frequency. The outbound channel went to everyone. It wasn't trying to target the receiver. Just broadcast it all over the islands. Everybody got everything. The clients on the other islands would broadcast their packets back on what was called the inbound channel. And here's the thing that probably sounded crazy at the time. All the clients used the same frequency. They all used the same inbound channel. So you know what's going to happen. If the guy on Hilo is broadcasting to Oahu at the same time that the lady on Maui is broadcasting, one of them's going to step over the other one. Both packets aren't going to arrive. They're going to interfere. Now, the outbound channel was easy to manage, right? Everybody got everything. And if you're like, well, wait a minute, how did you handle that? The local client sorted out which packets were meant for it and just ignored the rest. We're in a situation where everybody's doing timeshare, so we're not as concerned about security as we will become later. But of course, you could encrypt the packets. Uh, But there's an address on those packets. The inbound packets, though, as I just described, could be a mess. I mean, imagine you got two users on Maui, one on Kauai, one in Hilo, and they all send their packets at the same time. Only one of them is going to get through if they're at exactly the same time. How do you handle that? The answer is you don't. The brilliance of AlohaNet was that the hub would just acknowledge every packet it received. If it got a packet, whether it was from Hilo or Maui or Kauai, it would say, oh, yeah, I got that packet every time it successfully received a packet from a client, it acknowledged it. Now, the client would sit there and wait for those acknowledgements. If the client didn't get the acknowledgement, after a certain amount of time, send the packet again. Eventually, every packet found a clear space in the transmissions, and the packets made it through. This was the main difference between AlohaNet and Arpanet. Arpanet nodes could only talk to a single node at a time, So each node had to know if it was okay to talk to you right now or are you talking to someone else? I'll remain silent until you're free. Let me know. We'll negotiate that. AlohaNet didn't need that kind of hassle, man. It didn't need to handle giving clients permission to send data. Just keep sending your data. Eventually it'll make it through and I'll let you know when it did. Since the nodes, the hub, and the client didn't have to coordinate on when to talk to each other, the protocol and the hardware for Net were much simpler. You needed one frequency for outbound, one frequency for inbound, and the protocol that just said, did I get a packet? I'll tell you I got it. If you didn't get it, keep sending. The packets from the hub did need an address so that you knew which packets were for you, and your computer could just discard the ones that were not. So they got all that running, they developed it, and the first packet broadcasting unit went online in June 1971. That version is now referred to as pure aloha because it was incredibly simple. If you have data, broadcast it. If there's a collision, resend the data later. The determination of later was kind of the genius of AlohaNet. It was a lot of math involving where the clients were, where the hub was, how far apart they were, how long it usually took to create a packet. And that math tried to predict the best times to send the data and improve the efficiency of the network. And it worked, but they improved on it. Slotted Aloha was an improvement that increased the maximum throughput Stations, clients, were given time slots, and you could only start a transmission at the beginning of that time slot. You could still send data pretty much any time you wanted. You didn't have to negotiate a time. You just had a slot, and there were lots of time slots. That arrangement reduced a lot of collisions. And then the final version I'll talk about is reservation aloha. That improved the efficiency more by reserving a slot for any client that successfully used it. So again, it wasn't a complicated negotiation of, is it okay for me to talk? I need to put in a reservation. I'll put my reservation. It just said, if a slot's open and you are the first to send a a packet, that slot's yours. It's reserved. Keep going until the slot time ends. Everybody else, wait for the next open slot and then reserve it by sending a packet. Again, there were enough slots that this didn't slow things down much, and the reduction of collisions sped things up quite a bit. Those principles of Aloha Net did get more complex; they did evolve, but they went on to be used in satellites, mobile phones, networks, and Wi-Fi. But the first and arguably most well-known of its uses was by Robert Metcalf at Xerox PARC in 1973, just two years after the Aloha Net started broadcasting. Metcalf was finishing up his doctoral thesis about ARPANET. Harvard had rejected his first draft, so he went and got a job at Xerox Park. There, he read a paper about AlohaNet and figured out how to fix a few of its bugs. Of course, he shared that with the folks at AlohaNet and then included those bug fixes in his thesis. That thesis was accepted by Harvard. And that stuck with him. So when he and David Boggs were figuring out a standard for connecting computers over short distances, Metcalf included some of the ways AlohaNet handled collisions to help handle collisions as they traveled through the wires. They were trying to collect a lot of different computers and connect them all together through Ethernet, as they would call it. Two years after AlohaNet went live, Ethernet first functioned on November 11, 1973. That was one of many innovations to come out of Xerox Park in the 1970s. You've probably heard of Xerox Park. Most famously, the legend goes that Steve Jobs and/or Bill Gates stole all their ideas from Xerox Park. Uh, it's not exactly true, but it's not exactly false. Many of the things that came out of Xerox Park furthered the work of Douglas Engelbart. Remember him. And many of them were conducted by the folks who had worked with Engelbart on the mother of all demos. We're going to get into Xerox Park in the future. Stay tuned. Well, let's get back to AlohaNet. In October 2020, many decades later, the IEEE, the organization that looks over all the standards, these kinds of electrical engineering enterprises, many of the things on the internet, like USB even, that's not even on the internet. The IEEE looks over these standards. In October 2020, the IEEE presented the University of Hawaii at Manoa, the location of that first AlohaNet hub, with a plaque commemorating the network as an official IEEE milestone. That plaque notes that AlohaNet was the first to demonstrate that communication channels could be effectively and efficiently shared on a large scale using simple random access protocols. You didn't need permission to send your data. You just send it when you want. Without the need to share computer resources between campuses on multiple islands, there wouldn't have been a need to build Net. And without Net, we don't get Wi-Fi, cell networks, Ethernet, and more. So, Mahalo, Hawaii. In other words, I hope you know a little more about AlohaNet. Know a little more is available without ads to direct supporters at Patreon.com/slash Know a little more. It was researched, written, and hosted by me, Tom Merritt. Editing and production provided by Anthony Lamos and Dog and Pony Show Audio. It's issued under a Creative Commons Share Attribution 4.0 international license. Dog and Pony Show Audio. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. off your first order at bolandbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details